Hey, thanks, Jordan. Welcome again to Salt City. Thanks for tuning in. I am excited to open up the book of Ecclesiastes with you guys this morning. And I don't know what you think of when you think of Ecclesiastes, but likely if you have any familiar familiarity with it, you think that it's a little bit of a strange book in the Bible. But I think what we're going to see this morning is that we have the opportunity to lean in and listen to an older, wiser man who has walked through some hard things in life and has some perspective. Now, I don't know who you've been talking to on the phone or on Zoom, but one of the people that I've really enjoyed talking to is an older, wiser man in my life, my dad. And this past week, I called my dad because it was his 65th birthday on the 16th. And I was having a conversation with my dad about life. And at one point, the conversation got pretty deep because my dad is planning on retiring at age 66. And my parents just bought a house up in the Minneapolis area. They plan to move up here. And so I was just asking my dad, Dad, what is it like to know that you're in your last year of work? My dad just paused for a second and he said, well, you know, I've been home for about four days working from home. He just transitioned to a home office. And he said, you know what? I already miss my office. I just miss having my own space. I miss being in that place. I miss the normal rhythms of life. And there was just kind of a sadness that came over his face. But actually in that moment, the sadness was a gift to me because it made me reflect on my own life. It made me reflect on what life is. And I think that what we're going to find as we open up Ecclesiastes is we're going to have this same experience. It's not going to be all happy, but I think it's going to make us reflect on our lives in a different way. Now, the writer of the book of Ecclesiastes is a guy named Solomon. And Solomon wrote a few books in the Bible. And what's interesting is he wrote one of those books when he was young called Song of Solomon. Song of Solomon is also a strange book because it's a celebration of young married sex. Basically, the message of Song of Solomon is sex is amazing. In his middle age, Solomon writes a lot of what we call the Proverbs. And basically in Proverbs, what Solomon says is, this is how life works best. If you wanna live a good, productive, happy life, this is how you want to live your life. You want to live with wisdom. And then we get this strange book that Solomon wrote in his old age. And the essential message of the book of Ecclesiastes is this is how life is. Life is meaningless. And so here's what Solomon is doing for us in Ecclesiastes. He's like this good friend who sort of steps off of his throne as a king. He's a wealthy king. He steps down off that throne and he lets us into the raw, messy, honest parts of his heart. And he tells us, this is what you can expect from life. And again, the message is life on the world's terms is meaningless. 
And so we're gonna see three ways in the introduction to this book this morning that life is meaningless. And the first of those ways is that life is circular. Okay, hang with me on this one. Life is circular. Ecclesiastes chapter one, verses one through seven. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Around and around goes the wind, and on its circuits the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. So the book of Ecclesiastes says that it's the words of a preacher. So you have to imagine Solomon, the son of David, standing up in front of a large assembly of people. And he's about to give his big idea. And he says that the big idea of the big speech that he wants to give in front of this large assembly of people is that all of life is vanity. There's been a lot of debate about exactly what he's trying to communicate here. If you look at different translations of the Bible, most of them translate the word differently. Some of them say meaningless, some of them say futility, and some of them say breath. And the reason for this disparity is because everyone is trying to grasp at the meaning of a metaphor. What Solomon is literally saying here is that all is breath. All is like a breath. Life is like this. It's like going outside on a freezing cold Minnesota day and breathing out. You see the breath, and as soon as you see the breath, it disappears. Goes on to explain a little bit more of what he's getting at here with verse three. He says, everything's vanity, 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 breath of breaths, futile, meaningless. Here's why I'm saying that, verse three, what does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun. So we see this phrase throughout the book of Ecclesiastes, under the sun. What he means is in the world. And what we see in the world is that people are trying and trying and trying. And at the end of the day, they are gaining nothing. In other words, life feels like you're working really hard and you're getting nowhere. The ultimate satisfaction that you're seeking in your life is unachievable through the ways that you've been trying to find it. And so at our core, no matter how hard we try to find satisfaction in pleasure, or in work, 
or in good things like our marriage or our kids or our friendships. The more we run after those things, the more we find out that they don't come through on their promises. They don't ultimately satisfy us. Solomon gives us a few more metaphors here to show us what he means. So in verse four, he said, a generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. Here's what he's saying. You could go right now, hop on a plane, go to Jerusalem, and you could walk in the place where Solomon walked. You could go see the temple that he built. And so the earth has remained the same, but generations have gone and generations have come. So the world is a circular place in this sense. There is the earth and then there's people and people's lives are like breath. They're incredibly short. He gives another metaphor. He says, the sun rises and the sun goes down. Get up, the sun's there. Go to bed at night, the sun is gone. Around and around. Again, he's showing us things are going around and around, but they're getting nowhere. Again, he describes the wind. The wind blows, goes around and around. You don't know where it comes from, you don't know where it's going, but it just keeps going. The wind just keeps blowing and it's getting nowhere. And then finally, he talks about streams and how streams run into the sea and then the water evaporates, it goes back into the clouds. The clouds rain down back into the stream. The stream flows back into the sea and on and on forever. And he says, life is like this. Essentially, he's pulling us close He's kind of getting off of his throne as a king. He's being really honest with us. And he's saying, guys, look, I've slept with thousands of women. I have unbelievable wealth and power. Everything that you would chase after in life, I have had. And here's what I'm telling you. If you get what you're chasing after, it will not satisfy your soul. And in this sense, life is meaningless. And what we begin to find is that Solomon's words echo the words of Jesus to us. Jesus said in Mark 8, 36, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? It's possible to gain everything in the world and at the end of the day to have nothing because your soul is so empty. I think this is the experience of all of us. In fact, it was the experience of my eight-year-old son, Luke, this week. So our garage got to be an absolute mess and I got to be super stir crazy. So I recruited Luke to help me clean out our garage. So we went into the garage, we took everything out of the garage, everything off the floor. And then we put some soap on the floor. 
we put water on the floor, we scrub the floor, then we squeegeed out the bottom of the garage, and then we put everything back into the garage. And my son Luke said to me, Dad, why do we do this two times a year? When what ends up happening is the garage just gets messy again. And I said to my son Luke, that's exactly what life is like. And that's exactly what Solomon is saying. When we live our lives on the world's terms, what we find is that we can't get the soul satisfaction that we long for by the work of our own hands or in the way that we think that we can, which again, prepares us for the words of Jesus. You see, we have to be dissatisfied in a way with the way that the world is in order to be ready to hear the good news. We have to hear the pessimism. We have to hear the cynicism of Solomon to be ready for the kingdom of Jesus. And I think we're ready to hear this from Jesus from Mark 6.33. He says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. You see, we weren't made to gain soul satisfaction by finding pleasure and delight in the things of the world. Our souls were made not for the kingdom of this world, but for an eternal kingdom. And God wants you to have your soul satisfied, not by what you see, by what you hear, but by his invisible, but very real kingdom on this earth. Not only does Solomon say that life is circular, he also goes on to say that life is wearying. Ecclesiastes 1.8, he says this, all things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. So imagine this. Solomon is surrounded by servants. He has incredible wealth. He is the richest person that you've ever heard of or that you could ever meet. And he's sitting down and he's writing this book of the Bible, and he says, I'm real tired. Life is really tiring. And Solomon describes it in a way that most of us don't. He doesn't just say that he's tired. He says, life is so tiring that I can't even describe how tired I am. He, he's not just talking about tiredness from a hard day's work or after going on a run. He's talking about this deep inside of his bones at the level of his soul. I am exhausted. Life is exhausting. 
Why is he saying that? He's saying that because the eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. Here's what he's saying. Even the best things in life cannot give us the rest that our souls are looking for. Even if we could go to that restaurant right now, even if we could go to that sporting event, even if we could go on that vacation, the rest that we're looking for is not found in this world. I think all of us have had this experience before. We think, if I can just get away to this warm place in the middle of a Minnesota winter, then I would be able to find the rest that my soul needs. If I could just get away from these crabby people, or I could get away from these rebellious kids, then I would be able to find the rest that I'm looking for. And so you go, and you get that chair on that beach, under that palm tree, and you get the drink with the little umbrella in it, and you have that book, or you have your iPad with that movie, and you sit in that chair for a week, and you soak up the sun, and you think, this is what I was made for. I am the king of this paradise. I'm the queen of this paradise. I will now be rested, and I will be satisfied. And then you get to like day five of the vacation and you start going to bed at like 7.30 or eight. And you think, man, the sun is kind of wearing me out. I, I forgot how tiring it is to eat all of this unhealthy food. I have eaten 14 bags of Lay's potato chips and I feel more tired than I did when I left. And then you start to think, and I'm going to hop back on that plane, and I'm going to go back to my house, and I'm going to go back to my life. And just thinking about it makes me even more tired. And what we find is actually that no vacation, no retirement, no 401k, no ceasing from work can get rid of this down in your bones tiredness and exhaustion that we all begin to sense all the time and we can't shake. And when we start to accept this, when we start to believe this and we stop looking for rest in our next vacation, we're ready to hear Jesus say this in Matthew eleven twenty eight: Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Here's what Jesus is saying. I can give you something that your vacation can never give you. I can give you deep soul rest. Are you tired? Are you tired of running to a thousand different things? Have you watched 42 hours of Netflix movies this week and it hasn't given you the rest 
that you're looking for. Jesus is saying, just come to me. I want to pour my life into you through my word, by my spirit. In another place, Jesus tells a woman that this experience of having relationship, life-giving relationship, where we just come to him with honest truth and we say, I'm just tired. I'm tired of running to a thousand things besides you, that he'll give us himself in such a way that it will be like water going down into our soul and actually quenching that thirst. Maybe in this time where the world is on pause, where you actually can't go on vacation, where you actually can't go into your work, where you actually can't attempt to get rid of that weariness in a lot of ways, maybe you'll taste in a new way the satisfaction that Jesus brings. Maybe you'll begin to find rest in him. Would you just slow down? Would you open up his word? Would you talk to him? Would you just tell him, I'm tired. I'm exhausted. I've tried a thousand things. I can't do it anymore. Would you give me the rest that I long for? Lastly, Solomon says, not only is life meaningless because it's circular and because it's really tiring, but it's also meaningless because life is forgotten. Here's the honest truth. Almost no one is going to remember us. Ecclesiastes 1, 9 through 11, Solomon says this, what has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done, and there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new? It has been already in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. Now, I don't know if you're anything like me, but I've always liked to do memorable things. So I remember when I was in college, my friends and I used to drive down from where I went to school and go to Indiana Pacers games. And we had this contest that we did where we would try to sneak down to the lowest seats that we could by the end of the game and get on the Jumbotron. Why did we want to get on the Jumbotron? So that everyone in that stadium would remember that we were there. And I think all of us have this insatiable desire to be remembered. And here's what Solomon says. You won't be. You see, we're it's this especially narcissistic and self-focused culture. And probably the younger we are, the more we actually believe that we're going to be a rich, famous celebrity who changes the world and that everybody remembers. But think about this. Just think about the COVID-19 pandemic, okay? I don't know about you. Maybe you weren't as ignorant as I was. I like to think that I'm a studied and well-read person. I didn't even know about the Spanish flu of 1918, where 50 million people 
were estimated to have died around the world. So here's something that I've been hearing myself say, and here's something that other people have been saying. We've been saying that COVID-19 is unprecedented. This is unprecedented. Do you know why we're saying that? Because we don't remember the Spanish flu of 1918. It's not unprecedented. If you actually just do a little research and start to get a little bit of a history lesson, you realize that this is relatively normal for there to be pandemics in the history of the world. I was completely ignorant of that. And that's because we don't remember people and we don't remember events. But what Solomon is saying is nothing new actually happens and no one is remembered, which is deeply humbling. It shows us that we are dust, that we are human beings, that we are created by God to glorify God, but we have an expiration date on this earth. Now think about this. Think about some of the people who have most deeply impacted you in your life that have passed away. And think about how relatively few people that you know even know that that person existed. So for example, I was thinking this week about my grandma on my mom's side who died when I was about 15 years old. Her name was Verna Lou Townsend. We called her Grandma Lou. And I was thinking about her this week and I absolutely loved my Grandma Lou. She wore really dark red lipstick. She was five feet tall and about a hundred pounds. And every time I saw my Grandma Lou, she would give me a giant hug and she would call me like a dear angel or something like that. She just had this ability to make me feel special. And about once a month, she would send myself and my two sisters a letter written on a typewriter to us. And inside of that letter, she would wrap a piece of sugar-free gum. And we loved getting these letters because she just had this way of encouraging and praising that just made you feel like a million bucks. And what makes me sad is that I have these fond memories of my Grandma Lou, but almost no one who is alive on the earth remembers my Grandma Lou. Okay, how in the world can this one be helpful to us? That doesn't sound like good news to me. It probably doesn't sound like good news to you. Okay, get this straight. No one is going to remember you in a hundred years. I think the reason that it's important for us to know that is because it gets us ready to hear the good news of Revelation 3.5. Get this, you won't be remembered on earth, but you will be remembered in the most 
profound and mystifying way imaginable. Look at this, Revelation 3, 5. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. Here's what's going to happen when I get to heaven. This is what I imagine based on Revelation 3.5. I'm going to die. No one's going to remember me on earth. I'm going to get to heaven. And Jesus is going to look me in the face. And he's going to say, hey, Drew, I remember you. I love you. I will never forget you. You mean the world to me. He's going to remember your name. The reason that we need the book of Ecclesiastes is because we need a pessimism and detachment from the world that allows us to grab on to the truth of the gospel and to treasure it for what it is because the world and its desires are passing away. But this kingdom that God offers to us is forever. And so I want to invite you in to that. The world is not the way it's supposed to be. Life is not the way it's supposed to be. And if you think about it hard enough, it will make you weep your eyes out, but there is something better coming. Jesus knows your name. And so I'm inviting you, if you don't know him, to trust in him, to look to him, to with eyes of faith, see beyond the miserable reality of this world and to delight in his kingdom. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for Ecclesiastes. Thank you for this strange and wonderful book. Thank you for the wisdom of Solomon. Thank you that that points us to the wisdom of Jesus. And I ask that during this time, as the world is falling apart around us, that we would taste and see the preciousness of your promises, the preciousness of your kingdom, that we would come to know you better and that we would find rest for our souls. Pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.